If you could turn in your Bibles to Titus, the book of Titus, chapter 2, Titus chapter 2, nearing the end of the New Testament. I'd like to read verses um, 3 through 5. Before I do, I'll, I'll pray. And I'd also like you to do this, if you could be thinking about me in prayer. Um, the first part of this sermon is, um, I think it's very provocative. It's provocative to me. It's something that always, I always it resonates with me, but it might come across a little bit blah. But listen to it. I think it's, it's hugely important. It does affect the rest of the sermon. Um, and then the last part of the sermon is a lot of chicken scratch on my manuscript, so uh, I may be looking down a lot and have to correct what I've written. What, it, what I've got there is complete, it's just that I didn't get to clean it up. So let's pray. Uh, Titus, um, Lord Jesus, we ask that you, uh, you work in us as your people. You know the, uh, the failings of, of the... Preacher, you know the different obstacles that might come into play as we hear your word and then have it expounded. I ask that you re- remove those things and um, and, and repair my uh, my failings. In Jesus' name, Amen. So Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5 says, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. You may be seated. Today's sermon is to encourage older women to teach younger women how to be the person God made them to be. This does not mean all women should act alike. There is not some ideal or generic woman by which all others must be cloned. Eve was Eve, Mary was Mary, each woman is particular distinct, no two alike, and that is God's beauty. We are all different. Every man, woman, and child, we have our separate beings, for God creates specifics. Yet we share, in, we share things in common, too, ways in which we're supposed to be alike. Each woman, though gifted differently from any other and holding on to a different personality, having gone through time and been changed by historical circumstances, special people in their life, each one is still a woman. And that's where the older 
women should teach the younger ones how to be a woman. As a man, an older man, I cannot count the times in the normal course of daily life that I've shared my life experiences with other men, some women too, considering my place in the church. Why would I share those experiences? Because I empathize. I understand that other men are trying to figure out also how to be a good father or a better husband or a creative and committed worker. And they, and they also need to know how to put away the old self, that sinful self, and to put on the, the new one. They want to live with purpose, just like I want to live with purpose. They want to be what God created them to be. So do I. And we want to know how to be better men. Yet, each of us is distinct. But there is a sameness. A man is not a penguin, a woman is not a giraffe, and though both are made in God's image and share dominion, the dominion mandate, and they share the great commission task, still a woman is different from a man. In other words, a man is not a woman. What do I have to offer as an older man? What can you offer, especially older women, what can you offer, and what would be accomplished by your sharing, by teaching? Well, God's kingdom has grown this way. People learn, I learn, you learn, we grow together and become more of what God created us to be, not less. We become better as general men and women, but also as particular people. We glorify God when we do that. This idea of particularity, there's the word ontology that deals with the, the concept of who we are, what is our being. There is mystery in it. It's got the word calling attached to it. What is your calling? It's where we set ourselves apart. Me from the other guys. You from the other gals. The thing for which God made us in a way that he did not make someone else. And we must encourage that in each other. Be and become what God intended and intends. I've got to be me. You've got to be you. What is Fursell? What is Kristen? What is Georgine? What is Toby? We learn that along the way. We learn who we are as we grow. The Jews and, and then Christians became known as the people of the book. 
And it's because they conformed their lives to the teachings and commands God gave them in his word, the Bible. One rabbi said, God is a writer. And we agree. So we go to scripture to learn what God wants us to do as women and as men. But as we learn how to be a man or woman, we must never erase the beauty of our individuality. The goal of becoming a good woman must be pursued while respecting your personhood, your being. You focus on the thing, womanhood, womanhood, while respecting the multitude of different women. Unity, diversity. The one, the many. Unity and diversity is Trinitarian. God is Father. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, yet each particular. So find your meaning. Do not erase the beauty of all God intended you to be, but realize also there is much you need to learn about basic manhood and womanhood. And there... We have limited knowledge and and limited examples. So first, you probably will have to change who you are today as a man or woman because you don't fully understand what a man or woman is supposed to be. Just because you are one doesn't mean you're doing it well. But we're all in that boat. We're all supposed to learn and reform ourselves to the biblical standard. However, what makes this ignorance, this not knowing, doubly hard to overcome is that we live in a confused society. And I'm not going to rant on this at all. I just want to keep you aware. We live in a confused society that will not even today agree that man and woman are the only two identifiable sexes. Not understanding there is man and there is woman has led the society to also do something else and become messed up about what makes a person unique. So they, they deny the, un, the unity, the idea, but then they also mess up the particularity part of what I'm saying. So people, okay, they, they walk around and they draw into, they're celebrating their particularity, they draw into their being and embrace bad behavior and try to celebrate it as part of their diversity. This is who I am. This is what God made me to be. God made me this particular way. And so we need to overcome our ignorance of what a man and woman were designed to be, but we, we're fighting upstream. Secondly, something's in you, something's in you do require the Holy Spirit to erase, just erase. You have the old man in you, the sinful nature. 
It wants things contrary to what God wants. When God says the thou shalt and thou shalt nots, we kind of want the opposite. In fact, the moment we hear that he said it, we, we get triggered. We kind of really want to do the thing now, the sin. More to the point, we want to call the shots. We want things our way. But if he leaves us alone with that, headlong into destruction, that's, that's where we go. We take our families with us. We take all that we worked for with us. Thankfully, God's Spirit will erase those tendencies in his people. The sin has got to go. So keep in mind both those obstacles as we, we turn to this passage. Ignorance and sin. They both need fixing. But also as we look at today's few sentences, guard, okay, guard both that generic womanhood concept while you guard the particular women. You can teach someone womanhood, older ladies. You can teach someone womanhood, but you cannot teach her who she is. That's God's delightful work. So, verse 3 begins, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. These are two habits Paul brings up, probably a problem in the church or in society at the time, slander, okay, and excessive drinking. Excessive drinking isn't too hard to identify. Wine was common to meals, it was available, but it also made it easy to become a drinker. And then a talker. Slaves to much wine, it it describes the shackle-like attachment to alcohol. Older women should not be slaves. Paul's, Paul's not saying they cannot drink. Please do not teach that to the younger women. Drunkenness is the issue. And I imagine any one of us could test our own hearts with the question, can I go without it? Can I go without it, or does my mind keep wanting it? Slander was the other knock Paul had on irreverent behavior. Slander is when you say something false about someone that damages their reputation. I've been slandered by older women. Have you? It is different than gossip. Gossip is kind of that free-for-all, unrestrained conversation about people, which may or may not be true. Still, both, both things affect others' opinions of both things, slander and gossip, affect others' opinions of your victim, of your victim. Both should be avoided, yet slander is more heinous because it's, it's a fiction designed to damage Whether you started the slander or someone else made it up, 
Made up is the key. Made up. And when you are done saying the false thing, it takes on a life, doesn't it? It leaves your lips, enters history. I can recount at least two instances of open slander against an elder from within our own church. So we're not above it. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 16 says, Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. So God forbids slander because it damages a life. David says his enemies did it to him. In Psalm 41.6, it says, When one of them comes to see me, speaking of his enemies, when one of them comes to see me, he speaks falsely, while his heart gathers slander that he goes out and spreads it around. Slander is malicious. According to the Apostle Paul, it is to be found in the ranks, in the, among the same words as rage, anger, and brawling. Each of those are truly designed to hurt. Somewhere else, Paul recommended that young widows, young widows should get married again, rather than be supported by the church. Or else they may, quote, learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not, end quote. But today's text is directed to older women, okay? You should not be slanderers or given to much wine, but instead you should be reverent in your behavior. To be reverent means to show great respect for God's things, to be, to be holy. It's a life of learned behavior by which your bad things get burned up over time while the good things increase. The older reverent woman has learned and is learning to, to say no to the deeds of the common woman. The older reverent woman has learned and is learning what doing good looks like. They can teach it to you, younger women, as you'll see in the next sentence. But before we get there, I, I want to suggest to younger women, you know how you, you pair your phone to a speaker system? Right? You should pair yourself to a reverent woman or more than one. They are here. They are in other churches too. But make sure she's older, not just your age. But it's not just because she's older. There are older Christian women that do not behave reverently. 
And once you get to know them, you'll see that they're given to slander still or gossip or backbiting, kind of, kind of pathetic for an older woman. They are busybodies who engage their sensual appetites. Avoid them. Avoid them. They could change. There's hope. But they've gone a long time in life to still be at that stage. It would be better, I think, for you to get a read. right? Take a pulse the best you can on who exhibits reverence. No one's perfect, but maybe consider how a woman's children have grown up. Do her children, her grown children, worship God still? What have they turned out like? Doesn't answer all the details, but that's a reading. Also consider whether her husband admires her, or maybe a better question, does she admire her husband? If a mother's children go astray, or if she speaks ill of her husband, or or men in general, then find a better older woman. After all, Who more than a wife and mother can add season and flavor to a family? Now, I think we have a few reverent older women within our congregation. And I I ask you, please teach the younger women. They've got issues. They've got challenges. Maybe some that you've never faced. They need it. Don't wait for them to come ask you, put yourself into their lives. It's, it's, a, it's biblical that you teach them. Paul says in verse 4, they must be trained. And who else to train a, a woman than another woman who has been there and has, has done it? You cannot dismiss the command. You cannot retire. Our congregation depends on it. Indeed, Christianity has always depended on it. Older women must help the younger women. Paul says you do this by teaching what is good in verses 3, 4, and 5. And and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands. He's obviously focusing on the married woman here. These things are not exclusive to married women, but he's leaning into it. He does not intend to exclude singles. Yet much of the generic difference between manhood and womanhood is bound up and delineated in the household. In the household, the woman becomes a wife and a mother. Her body and demeanor were constructed for it. 
Eve was taken from Adam's side and given to him. Woman receives the seed. She bears children. She nurtures them at her breasts and more. Yet each woman is different. They may share a body and even a demeanor, but each one has her own calling. Mabel must be Mabel. Lisa, Lisa, and Tabitha, Tabitha. Embrace your Mabelness. Fulfill your Lisa-ishness. Do not try to be something for which God did not make you. You're not obliged to fit into a straitjacket designed by someone else or some sect or some society. People who want to enforce unity at the expense of particularity always use shackles to do it. In regard to generic womanhood, or at least in regard to wives and mothers, Paul wants older women to train up the younger ones, to be different from the world. People of the book should behave differently. A good wife and mother will consider her husband and children of first order, verse 4. Paul mentions five mini-instructions in the latter verse. He says, train these women to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands. We're going to touch each one of these briefly. The five mini-instructions sound a lot, though, like they're contrasted to Paul's earlier corrections against speaking falsely and hurting people and drinking too much, etc. Number one, whereas a self-controlled woman knows when to stop, The woman who tends to get drunk doesn't. Self-controlled woman is not given to sensual excesses. It's not about how good she feels, whether it be drinking or eating or sex. All are gifts from God and important to life, but too much of any good thing Well, you know. What does it mean to be pure? Purity is not shallow, but deep. It goes beyond what you say and do. You might refrain, okay, from debauchery. That's giving in to the excesses, the sensual excesses. That's called debauchery. You might refrain from debauchery. You might also bite your tongue once in a while, refuse to speak ill of somebody because you're trying to be good. That's good. But the question of purity is a question of the heart. Do you want the good of others when you're away from other people, when you're not being viewed by your sisters or brothers in the Lord or by your workplace uh, co-laborers? Do you want what's good for others? Even when you're alone with God, is that your heartbeat? Do you respect and love them? Do you respect and love him? 
Is he the reason you are who you are? Training in purity is training in the unseen person. The beauty of a a heart without guile. That woman can be trusted in the home as well as in the church. Cling tightly to her and give us about two dozen more, Lord. Working at home, what does that mean? That's a loaded one. Working at home. I don't believe it means a wife must never walk outside the four walls of her home. But I do think it means her work should be done for the benefit of her husband and children in a way that's different from a man's, although he's concerned with the same. For she is to love them, we just heard a minute ago. The King James Version renders the phrase keepers at home. I remember a young man telling me, that he would never have his wife take a job working under another man's authority. Hmm. I'm all for headship. I, I understand that concept. But this struck me as a little odd. Really? Never? And it had to do with this verse in particular that he, he was referring to, working at home or keepers at home. And I... I know there are some that teach heavy on this, and I have some respect for it. And I'm not sure if my friend felt that his wife shouldn't work at all outside the home, or if that her doing so for another man's business meant that she was somehow helping him build his household rather than her building up her husband's household. That maybe, I don't know, maybe he felt it would be permissible if it was a a, a woman who owned the business, then maybe he'd let her go work for a woman. But that logic really does not uh, follow. He was pretty adamant about it at the time until he faced some financial difficulties. It was about six months later that his wife took a part-time job as a waitress. And I think that's good. Here's what I think is good. I think it's good that sometimes God forces us to get our theology and doctrine right by pestling us in a mortar. Sometimes we get these dreamy ideas of what we think something means. We, we think we understand what the apostle meant, no questions about it, and then we get pestled. And we, we look harder at these things and we start to say, well, maybe... I'm taking this verse a little out of context or I'm putting the accent more on one word than the others or whatever. Sometimes you've got to be put in hard situations to sand off the edges. He will refine us. That's good. And his, his work in us will create our, an understanding that will improve our appreciation and respect for his word. We get into trouble when we take a phrase 
one phrase like working at home or keepers at home and try to make it say something maybe the, the apostle wasn't quite getting at fully. Think about it, okay? The most profound description of a wife and mother going about her work for the benefit of her husband and children is Proverbs 31. I don't think anybody could disagree with this. Yet, it is an illustration of a woman who transacts business inside and outside of her home. She is industrious. That is a key word here. She is industrious. And we know industriousness, okay, in any one of us, staves off many temptations. It's the idle hand that gets in trouble. Those who are industrious have no time often for trouble. Here are just a few verses. Proverbs 31, 14. She is like the ships of the merchant. She's, she brings her food from afar. What does that mean? From in the kitchen? No, I don't think so. From in the garden that's right next to the house, still on your property? I don't necessarily think that's the case. She has traded this woman with others to give her family delicacies. Proverbs 31, 16, she considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She's increasing the family estate here and putting the land to work. Wonderful. What a wife. Proverbs 31, 20, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. Who are they? This is charity extended beyond her own family, isn't it? She makes, uh, Proverbs 31, 24, she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Here again, she trades in textiles. Proverbs 31, 31, give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. The gates were where you found the marketplace. It would be similar to renting table space at the farmer's market or opening a shop on Main Street. Maybe. The proverb does not describe, listen to this, the proverb does not describe an independent woman. It describes a woman who's motivated to be a good wife and mother. She's an amazing woman. And she reminds me of my wife. Tracy gets a paycheck every two weeks from GAPA Security Solutions for $144. Kids, that's like if you worked for two weeks doing your chores and your dad's and mom's added more chores to your chores and you couldn't wait for allowance and then he gives you a dime. You've got to be kidding me. Not about the money. What does she do? She works like a dynamo for the good of my house, our house. She maintains two checkbooks, and neither one is GAPA Security Solutions. For that company, she balances all credit cards and the general checking account. She files things. She peruses through changes in company insurance policies and anything else that we need her for. 
Furthermore, for GAPA properties, okay, she works with contractors involved to do lawn care and landscaping, any electrical work, plumbing, custodial services, and garbage pickup at the Storbeck building. She purchases any and all supplies for tenants. Those things, you might say, are outside the house. Well, they are and they aren't. I guess depending on where she's seated. seated. Whereas if you want to be particular within the house, she takes on various church commitments. She cleans by dusting and dry mopping and vacuuming the entire house except for the basement. That's a mess, Tracy, by the way. She grows a garden for beauty and for food. She takes the grandchildren a day a week, prepares meals for me and Abby. She serves as a reliable daughter to her mother and finds time for her siblings as well as other people. I'm leaving out a lot. But for $144 every two weeks, that's a bargain. It's apparent that she does these things for her husband and children and grandchildren and to fulfill her womanhood before God in a way that is particularly Tracy. Many of you men couldn't handle her. The end of Proverbs 31 says, she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. So then, godly older women, you should teach younger women to keep busy in the good things God has given them to do. I, I'm not saying the home is not part of this phraseology, but I think Paul's emphasis probably has more to do with the working than with the home. Not separating the two. Industriousness is the reason, though, Paul encouraged Timothy not to put young widows on the church widows, in the church widow's fund. He wanted them to get married again, bear children, manage their own households productively so as not to be idlers, going about from house to house, gossips and busybodies. That's not how you walk with God as an idler. And let me suggest in our day, it is difficult to infuse people with industriousness. So, older women, you may have to steer a younger woman away from being a busybody and an idler by encouraging her to make to-do lists and put away her cell phone. Another difficult challenge will be to help her weigh out on a balance, weigh out on a balance how her work as a mother will look different from that of a career-minded woman. You must teach them God's priorities. 
each woman here is particular with great skills, strengths, personality, calling. God made them to be them. We will not erase that. Jessica needs to be Jessica. There can be no other. And Jenny, Jenny, and Margaret, Margaret. Four, why is it important to teach young wives and mothers to be kind? Well, for one thing, they may need to see it for the first time. Not every woman has had a a kind mother. Some didn't have a mother. Some mothers lacked affection and gentleness, consideration, philanthropy. These are godly characteristics, and I'm surprised every day by the harshness and cruelty and cold selfishness of some mothers. Older women, you must be kind, of course, to teach kindness. Five, finally, the younger women are supposed to be submissive to their own husbands. This does not come natural to womanhood. Since the fall in sin nature, the woman bristles at the concept of marital submission. Yet, as the church submits to Christ, so a wife should prove herself godly by submitting to her husband. She's in this with him. In Alto CRC in 2023, this is our time, okay, for which we have been created. I'm going to just touch on one more little subject. I read recently that the Greeks had two words for time that we translate in English as the same word. One word was chronos, That is, time in sequential events. It it refers to a specific amount of time in an hour or a day or a week. It passes chronologically. We all experience it. We've lost about an hour and five minutes. We didn't lose an hour and five minutes. We have passed through an hour and five minutes of chronos as we've been seated here. The other word, however, is kairos. It's used 86 times in the New Testament. And it refers to time as opportunity. It's not the sequential time that keeps on ticking and passes by, but instead it is is you living consciously in the moment. Or during a season to get something accomplished like harvest season or planting season. It's this kairos that I'm calling older and women to take advantage of. It is the time you must take hold of. Apply yourself to it. Don't let life pass you by here. It is the time you invest. So you make your mark for God in Kairos. Elto CRC, our hope for future growth requires older women to leave an imprint on younger women in Kairos. Make it so obvious, your imprint, that when 
all of us arrive in eternity and that we see your marks on the person. When I see Tracy and Lydia and, and Abigail and Kristen and Callie in the heavenlies as particular women, I expect I will recognize them because of the godly marks left by our sisters here. Ultimately, God is the creator, and his word will never come back empty. Paul says it is imperative that older women train younger women in these virtues. The reason Paul mention is the reason Paul mentions here at the end is that the word of God may not be reviled. This is motivation of its own, okay? It's not simply a warning. God's word must not be reviled by your bad behavior. But the greater motivation for women is that you can be the very person God intended by learning to keep his word. You will need help for sure. You are ignorant, right? There's things you don't know. And you are less than honest with yourself because of sin. Nevertheless, God's word and the work of his Holy Spirit will be sufficient for you. He will satisfy you as you yearn to be counted among his dear daughters. Let's pray. Lord, I pray and I ask that uh, this has not fallen on deaf ears, that it was clear enough that I that it hits the right targets and that we're changed. In Jesus' name.